0: Hey, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Furkan Dandia. In this week's episode, I was excited to welcome Steve Fader. Steve is someone whom I have become friends with recently, and we have shared some very deep, honest and raw conversations. Steve is an entrepreneur at heart, but most of all, he is a man who has gone through his hero's journey and has come back to support others and guide them through their journey. The hero's journey has become a theme for me, especially on this podcast, and I have covered various aspects of it in previous episodes, such as rites of passage and atonement. For Steve, it started with the work ethic instilled in him as a young child. Although highly traumatic, it built him into the man he is today. The lessons about the world he learned through this upbringing were rooted in the fact that the world was not easy. If he wanted more, he would have to fight for it. Throughout the first 30 years of his life, he realized how difficult the world could be to navigate alone. And he chose to make sure he developed into the type of man that would not allow circumstances to dictate his future happiness and success. He also learned that success isn't as simple as hard work Many times he worked hard and achieved nothing but physical and mental anguish. He realized that if he wanted more, he needed to change many aspects of the way he saw the world and build on how he was brought up. The foundation was cracked and stressed, but not irreparable. And proper discipline and hard work through personal development was going to be key. There's no growth without change. Upon achieving success, be it through learning from failure or an actual stressful, successful endeavor, it dawned on him that he was here to help people realize that they could also achieve what they wanted. The elevator back down analogy describes trying to elevate the people around you. In martial arts, the saying was, iron sharpens iron, which he still tries to live by today. If he can manage his way to the level of success he has achieved, he can perhaps help others realize their potential. That is something that, over time, has become a big big focus of his, for better or worse. Over the years, he realized that not everyone wants or is prepared to succeed. He believes that success and failure are equally as substantial. Either of these things can change who you are, for better or worse. Now, Steve tries his best to put good into the world and works hard to provide for himself and his wife. He ensures his wife, his closest and strongest supporter, is protected and provided with the life most people dream of. He always continues the journey of personal development, as it is the only way he can succeed and continue to have the chance to affect change in the world. Respect and loyalty are two of the main drivers of his intention. He believes that everyone deserves both until they prove that they do not. He stays on the journey to succeed and help others succeed because he would like to see as many people as he can become happy in his life. He feels that building an army of successful men with the same ability to affect positive change in the world is part of his calling. He was told he was a monster for so long that he began to believe those things and quickly realized that this might be true to a certain extent. But now, as a monster, he owes himself to control and direct that aspect of his personality for good and not evil. Many times in his life, circumstances could have played out differently he chose a different path at several pivotal times in his life and those choices led him down to the road he rides now i really hope you enjoy this episode it was an honor for me to record it and if at the end you could leave a five-star review i would truly appreciate it All right, Steve, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for coming on here. I've really appreciated the conversations we've had over the last little while here. Uh, We met recently as well, so it's it's funny how the universe makes things happen, but I'm super grateful for you to take the time today and and join me. But before we get started and go into our conversation, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself so the listeners kind of get to know who you are and what it is that you do.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you. Likewise. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how the universe just kind of puts stuff in front of you at the time that you need it. And, uh, I would say that the time in particular case is, uh, unique <laughs> say the least. Yeah. I am, uh, mm-hmm. my name is Steve Vader. I uh, originally from Manitoba. I am a 44 year old entrepreneur. Um, I have been an entrepreneur for roughly around 20 years. Um, you know, I, as the case with most young males, you know, I was straight out of high school, not a real plan for what I was going to do. So I, uh, I jumped into a lot of different labor positions, which ultimately led me to the realization that I didn't really want to work for anybody else. Uh, so I, I I had a tough time with authority and I didn't like getting told what to do. (laughs) And figure out kind of a way to survive and make money still. So. You know, I worked some odd jobs through my early 20s and mid 20s. And then, in my, in, when I was about 26 or 27 years old, I met uh, a woman that I dated at the time that was uh, kind of savvy in website stuff. Uh, and I had never done like anything like that before. So she walked me through the process on, on how to build like a very rudimentary business. And uh, I have a, a very creative uh, nature just in general. And, and the first business that I started was a, uh, I always skip over the very first one because it's kind of weird. But uh, mm-hmm. so uh this girl had this thing that she wanted to do with the local girls here in Calgary. She wanted to, to do like a, a calendar. She always would see like the, you know, back in the early or mid 2000s, it was like a calendar push. So you have like, you and sell a calendar. It's like charity whatever. So she had the same idea. She wanted mm-hmm. to do this like local girls because she thought, you know, Calgary's got some beautiful women. So I was like, cool, whatever. Like, let's do it. So she uh, was a photographer as well. Took a bunch of pictures, and then we consolidated everything in this like calendar platform. Was the first time I had ever done any kind of organizational stuff by way of trying to build a business. So that's the actual first business I participated in. But shortly thereafter, I don't know that was a huge failure. But that's like five or seven thousand dollars in the printing of these calendars, and then the the model was. Go out, pound the pavement, go to bars, local stuff like that. You know, we got some corporate sponsorship, like the radio station here in Calgary. CJ90 yeah. is a big sponsor. And, and uh, they had that calendar every year, so I had pitched them just out of the blue on this idea that they would use our calendar as their 50th anniversary calendar, which they did, but it was a huge failure for whatever it, reason. I mean, yeah. it just did. But it was a good learning experience. Yeah, um, but Shortly thereafter, I started a merchandising company, so I had... um been training in mixed martial arts and muay thai for you know the majority of my teens and the majority of my 20s i ultimately ended up fighting a few fights in mixed martial arts professionally um but as part of that kind of world the second business that i started was a merchandising company so at the time the ufc was really big or starting to 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 grow in popularity and there was a local Um, um there was a local kind of Popular brand called Capo. So I thought, oh, you know, we can take a version you know, our own and create it. So I ended up uh, creating a brand. Again, it was a huge learning experience, um, lots of failures, lots of money spent. Uh, and then ultimately ended up kind of, you know, moving forward through a couple of businesses uh, to today, where I am now the largest shareholder and a board member of a publicly traded company that is in the consumer packaged goods space. In the United States, we've got roughly 400 employees in six different states. So it's been uh, been an interesting evolution for the last, you know, 15 or 20 years by way of entrepreneurial career. Um, right. Without getting into too much like extreme detail or excruciatingly pain, still.
0: So, like I yeah. said, there's
1: a lot of failures along the way, and it's uh, it's ultimately allowed me to be able to attain what I have today. Uh, yeah. And I certainly don't think that this is the end by any means. I feel. Oftentimes, daylight, it's only just, again, it's kind of exciting.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. And, and uh, you know, again, I appreciate that journey. But <clears throat> I guess the first question that comes to mind anytime I hear people working their way through failure, I'm always curious because everyone has a different mindset and approach when, when they approach adversity or they face adversity for that matter. In your case, what kept you going despite, as you mentioned, those early failures? Like, what was it that you believed in yourself, and what allowed you to keep moving forward with this mindset?
1: Yeah, great question. I feel I've been thinking about this a lot, specifically since I met you a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you know, the exposure that I've got to the guys in your group has kind of forced me into taking reflecting on 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 a lot of things that i had not in the past and and asking myself some cool questions you know how did i do it why did i do it um and i really feel like you know, obviously when you're in the moment you don't really think about that I, I feel like you know rewind uh 24 years old the things that were driving me at that point in time were you know survival make money you know trying to attain some type of accomplishment um mm-hmm. the driver for me um was trying to help people and right. so when i when I was, I grew up on a farm, sure. if you go even further back, I feel like this is where it actually came from. The work ethic that was instilled in me by my mother, um, I would say it was probably the most valuable thing that I kind of built foundationally because it allowed me to be able to take, you know, the situation where I'm necessarily not so smart or I'm not so educated or, you know what I mean? You don't necessarily not book smart, but you've got the ability to work with your hands. Right. Uh, and do things that can help you survive, right? So I always knew in the back of my mind, funny, I had this conversation with my wife last night, actually. I always knew that if I wanted to turn on the job security at any point in time, I could just make a decision to do it. Because there really wasn't I couldn't do. Um, And I've been grateful for even having the physical ability to be able to work hard and, and you know, help myself kind of get ahead. Um, Yeah. I would say that, uh, like, the work ethic and the survival thing would probably be the most um, significant and I think that that came, you know, the situation that we were in growing up. So my parents were really young. Uh, mm-hmm. My mother, emergency services. So I got to see that she worked shift works. So it was 12 hour shift. So, you know, there's a lot of times where she wasn't there. And, 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 you know, it, it forced me into a position of responsibility, really. And I think that that was good for mm-hmm. what was to come in the future and unbeknownst to me at the time. But, you know it allowed me to be able to adapt the way I think and adapt the way I learn things, learn very quickly, you know if I need to jump into something and it's you know sink or swim, generally figure out how to swim yeah, I mean I guess that's a roundabout way of answering that question
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, no I, I definitely appreciate that. I think that's important that if I were to look back on on myself, my parents were immigrants to to this country, and seeing their work ethic also inspired me. So I remember when things would get tough, I kind of pulled back on those memories of watching my parents grind it out. So I, I think there's something to be said about that. So I can definitely relate. Um, the the other thing you know you've shared with me is you you're part of this whole uh, movement around and you're also a donor for for men's a men's movement that focuses on domestic violence. Why is that something you're passionate about, and why do you feel that is a cause you want to give back to? Um,
1: this would be a little bit of a longer
0: explanation, but again, back to the comment that I made
1: my parents gave when I was younger. I think that, you know, Obviously, in your formative years, you learn certain things about life. And at that point in time, I got to learn about violence, uh, mm-hmm. so violence within the family. And even remembering it now, I remember it in pieces. And I mostly remember the things I was told and not necessarily the actual experience. So, you know, for yeah. whatever, maybe it's trauma, maybe it's something else. Um, that's kind of where it started. Like we've spoken about in the past, you know, anger was treated a certain way just specifically because of that. And I think that, you know, not to... Not to take sides in the in the divorce or anything, but I mean, feel yeah. me, like, you know, later in life now I can see that both of my parents had their own situation going on at the time, and I understand how things went down, and I don't necessarily agree with how um, the viewpoints coming out of that were communicated to us as kids, and yeah. it really dawned on me until later. Um, you know, I'm in my mid twenties, I'm into a personal relationship that ultimately ended up with a domestic abuse situation. So specifically in this uh, case I was with a woman who you know was I don't know if she had a substance abuse problem but she certainly was drunk at the time that this took place and she came to my home we were not living together we were dating she came to my yeah. home drunk after the bar one night and kicked in, I lived in a basement suite. So she kicked in the windows uh, in the house, trying to get into the house and um, I ended up like walking across the, the, the main bedroom and I had the time like a little flip phone like a little tiny yeah like, tested phone like so I had my phone with me because she kept calling my phone so I, I had it on the bedside table she kicked the window in and I was freaking out because I didn't know what was happening and yeah. I uh I grabbed the phone off the bed and went to the other side of we the room and put the light on and then I could hear her screaming and for whatever reason I threw the phone like at the window I'm sure I was probably just trying to be aggressive or not handle the situation properly. The phone went through the broken glass and I shouldn't laugh. It hit her in the lip. Um, and she's like, she's like meltdown and drunk, injured yeah. now. Um, anyways, I, uh, I w- like, I left the situation because I realized that this doesn't look good. Um, the police mm-hmm. arrived. The story was told as if I punched her in the face. It didn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, what took place in the years after that? I got to experience how the system sees situations like that and I, I had no idea, no prior experience to that personally, um, specifically at that level, but what I did learn through that process was the system was very heavy on the support of the mm-hmm. female and it should be in a lot of cases, but there are right. cases, like in my case, where obviously the story's not told correctly um, it kind of resonated with me, not at the point at which she would lie to the police, because I, I mean, that's not surprising. To me, but what really hit home for me was immediately after it happened, the day after, she called my mother. Um, mm-hmm. And at that point in time, my mother and I, I had left home at 16. Yeah. Um, she had remarried. Fantastic guy. They're still together now. Like a very positive influence in my life. She didn't, then it was, but anyway, so. We didn't have a real solid relationship from age 16 to let's say 2006, eight, like 24, 24. It would have been around 24 when this happened. I'm guessing. Yeah. She, uh, so she communicated to my mother perversion of what had taken place. And instead of speaking to me, my mother messaged me and just basically told me, I was right about everything. Just like your father. I never want to speak to you again. Like this type. Um mm-hmm. and then at that point I was like, Wait a second, That happened real quick and no one yeah. really listened to my side of the story. So at that point in time, I hired a private investigator, uh, and I had him seek out my father mm-hmm. land on book since I was seven years old. So we're talking yeah. about you know, a freaking amount of time. Right. Now that I see about two thousand seven, that probably it took me probably like a year and a half to find out where he was. Yeah. Uh so at the point where, you know, the guy gave me the information, I contacted him. We had a conversation about, first of all, it was like a reunion. So when I told him who it was, he burst into tears. He was driving at the time. He took a call on his cell phone. He's a truck driver. He's been a truck driver. Yeah. Since um, so, you know, we kind of got over the first little bit. And then I told him, listen, I want to meet you in person. So within a week, I had driven, of, of all the places he lived in, with Pascaline he's lived here since i moved to albert he's lived here since 1999 so we're like two hours away from each other and had no idea but the questions that i asked him straight away were to the point like did you do this things that my mother had told me did you do this did you do that did this happen and yeah. the way he broke down and the way he received it i mean it should be also mentioned that you know he's he's in my opinion extremely overweight you know he doesn't take care of his body the truck driver career is not necessarily one that i've chosen you know he's not he's not this monster or this you know this failure that um had been described to me in the past but the point of it is is that when i met him and i got to feel his side of the story not just listen to what he was saying but i you know emotion you could tell that um he was infested in me and it wasn't i don't get the vibe like he's lying to me, right so the truth finally came out about you know the history of, of their relationship and once i started to look at that I, I swear.
0: oh yeah you, you can just, do whatever you want
1: it's <laughs> like fuck me like i've had this viewpoint point about women my whole entire life like my whole entire life with that 10 to 8 that was a long time if you go through a couple person this one was the first one that had ever ended in something like this like it was escalated quickly and i didn't know how to handle it yeah you know, i'm also i find myself in this this legal situation and i'm like what the fuck just happened and yeah. so it started to it started to shine a light on um, two sides to that story. Uh, you certainly can't make decisions based on, you know, what one person is just saying versus what, you know, collecting all the information might end up uh, providing for you. So it was so, a whole process, you know, we're talking years that I finally started to realize the system might be broken um it didn't really get driven home until the next relationship so and we talked about this past cause of the situation with what took place with the first woman in the domestic situation i was actually brought up on charts and generally they've got proof and you have charges like drawn against you yeah Um, it was some type of a record in my case specifically they charged me but didn't give me any type of like punishment they just Mm -hmm. you could there was this air in the courtroom where the judge at the time kind of felt like she was putting it on a little bit. And I certainly wasn't in a place to be like, oh, she's lying. You know what I mean? So I told my side of the story and she told her side of the story. And the judge kind of like, my lawyer told me after it was almost like the judge was compelled to do something because of the situation and how it, the, you know, how it looked just like right. on paper. Anyways, well, so after that, I, I found it necessary to divulge this information to any future personal relationships and you know whether that's a mistake or not i feel like the type of personality that i've got is very transparent like mm-hmm. when it comes to personal relationships i don't want to hide something like that from somebody especially when i didn't do anything wrong right and so that what that did is because i was continuously making the decisions to and i don't i didn't see it at the time but i see it now choose the same type of woman which ended mm-hmm. up in my opinion again ultimately being the blueprint of my mother. Um and it was just kind of a mistake that I made over and over again until in until you know I ultimately I I met uh my current my wife, uh a complete 180 to everything else I've done my life. This is fantastic. Um but yeah, so in in one of the the relationship after this incident, um, it happened again. And in this case far more blatant. And far yeah. more directed at, hey, I'm going to take advantage of this situation. In that situation, there was no interaction physically, like nothing bad happened. She just ran out of the house one day and yeah. uh, called the police because we were arguing about something mm. stupid, like going to the gym or something. Right. Um, Used it as kind of like a fool. This, it should be, it should be mentioned that this girl also had some mental health issues. She was heavily medicated. She had a suicide attempt during our relationship that I had to rush her to the hospital when she's in the hospital overnight. The doctors told me she had overdosed on, on Benadryl, of all things. Uh, and I didn't, this was like my first experience with this as well. But anyways, right. What the shit on her? Like, wait, we should focus on what, why, uh, why I made the decision. Um, mm-hmm. during that process, again, having. I got arrested, you know, processed at this time. Like I had experienced this before. So I knew this. it's either like there's no, there's two sides again. There's no proof that right. anything in place. And at this point I'm going to dig my heels in and I'm going to make sure that I just like go down swing if I have to. Yeah. So, um, go through the court process, get a lawyer again. And the lawyer's like, you know, if you just, if you just, plea out to this and i'm like no dude i said i'm here to go to fucking jail if i need to i don't care i will not admit to anything i didn't do and i'm certainly not going to sacrifice the rest of my life for someone who decision making process someone especially that's got mental health issues basically um, right at that point digging my heels in was the right thing to do The so all of the charges got thrown out we ended up um we ended up They, the court ended up deciding that I was instead supposed to go through a court mandated um, men's like development program for domestic specifically and and we've talked about this before but I had a real bad attitude about going into that program it was a 16 week program it was if I didn't do it they were going to bring the court case back and all of a sudden shit I was like okay let's do it so I went in with a shitty attitude the facilitators were there and I was like venom at this facilitator I shouldn't be here you know, this isn't my spot, blah, blah, blah. But if something happened over the course of the 16-week program where I changed the way I was thinking about it because I, I could tell I was having a bad attitude about it. And I mean, even at whatever age, I was, I was in my early 30s. Um, yeah. Well, you don't think about yourself necessarily while you're focused on trying to survive and build other things. Everything else in life is going on. Well. You don't necessarily, you know, not effective, as effective as you could be, I think. I wasn't at least. In trying to, you know, work on your personal development stuff. So at that time, I take a good look at my life, how, how did I get in this situation again, um, and then you know, readjust my decision making processes to try to align better outcomes. So I took, I took a little bit of a chill pill in this pro- program, yeah, I just, to kind of turn it around. And I got to know the guys in there, and through the the whole sixteen week program, there were. Um, there were guys exiting, right? So, uh, you know, it was probably 20 guys in this group every Tuesday, two hours. Um, I got to meet all the guys. I got to learn about all these different situations and then I kind of put into effect of what was going on in my life, understanding that, you know, although it was a shitty situation for me, it wasn't necessarily the worst thing that I could be involved in. Like, there's a right. lot of horror stories that these guys were telling me that I was like, Jesus, thank God, that's not me. But I, I learned along the way that there are very... Like different versions of this type of thing taking place all over the place. And, you know, ranging anywhere from a guy who clearly, just based on his, his, the way he speaks and his body language and his, his life situation is like, you know, you could tell he's been not physically beaten necessarily, but beaten down by the system for years and years. It's just like a Great. shell of a man. And I'm staring at these guys thinking to myself, who, who makes these people this way? Like, don't get me wrong. There was some guys in there that I feel like probably had like a nasty, Abusive, mainstream, violent, like, and again, I'm I'm, I'm painting a picture based on yeah. my experience with these guys, but there were guys in there. The majority of the guys in there weren't like me, so they weren't in a situation where they were like, you know, I was wrongly accused, like, like fuck the system type thing. There were yeah. guys in there that were like, please help me, like, I don't know how to handle this home situation that I'm in, and or this divorce situation that I'm in, and I didn't have experience with kids or divorce or anything like that, other than growing up in that environment, so. I right. learned a lot from these guys and what it did was it drove the point home that this thing probably required a little bit more support in society. Because I feel like, you, you know, you're just, you get the vibe like you're ushered into this cattle chute and you're you're put under this one umbrella. You're like, oh, you're one of these guys. And I wasn't. And I yeah. knew. It. And so I thought, I'm going to take advantage of this situation in two ways. I'm going to try and positively affect these guys the best I can based on my life. Mm-hmm. To, to the situation. And then when I leave here, I'm going to find a way to do this on a bigger scale. And at that time, you know, struggling entrepreneur, I'm just barely making ends meet, trying to survive, you know, yeah. working a bunch of jobs, trying to run the business on the side. Um, so, you know, I don't have a lot of money to be able to, you know, be in the current position that I'm in, which is fortunate enough to be a donor now. You know, I've got some philanthropic effort that I've been able to develop over the last couple of years based on most recent. But at that time, I didn't have the ability to do that. So best way I could affect that situation was go in there with a good attitude, talk to these guys, tell my story, and help kind of like draw things out of them, help them think different ways. Just not unlike has happened with with you in the last couple of weeks. And obviously, you know, know, plan that. Just go in there with the intent to try and help people again. Um, Right. And that's what I did. so each of the guys that exited during the 16-week program that I was there, probably started within the first two weeks. Um, you have to go through kind of a, a presentation of like a summary of what you've learned throughout the the 16 week program. So what you're taking away, you know, what thought processes were when you came in versus how they've changed and what you've, you know, you, you, what you've progressed through. Um, and Each of the individuals that left during their, their, presentation uh, on their exit all said that the most impact, the most positive impact that had taken place during that program was hearing me speak about my situation, which was the first kind of, um, like well, he was the first kind of interaction I'd ever had with other people that had looked at my scenario and gone, oh fuck, like this has been valuable. It's the first kind of like positive feedback I'd received from anyone, let alone else males that, um, would, would kind of, reinforced that i was headed in the right direction um Mm -hmm. never heard anybody speak like me that sorry about me like that before and it kind of like it motivated me in a way to try and find more of that so i mean whether that's driven by arrogance because i want these guys to be impressed about what i say or whether it's driven by this kind of unknown which ultimately ended up being that i i didn't know why it felt good to to get Reciprocation like that, just based on my scenario, but it was, it was affirming the things that I was saying as, you know, valid and useful and all these other things. So, I mean, ever since then, once I got into a financial situation where that, where I could make a contribution, I sent out into the world to try and find programs specifically to support men in those types of scenarios. Uh, and there were, and when I realized how thin the, uh, resources were, uh, you know i i looked hard but i'm like hey, you look for something you can't have or there's something that you can't buy you, you want more right so this uh when I, when I found nothing i went like harder in the paint trying to find this so i i reached like like as many charities as i could and then i did not even know how this group ended up coming to me but it was a friend of a friend and they had sent me this link and i looked up the canadian center for men and families was at the times like three years ago um yeah small organization you know, to put it in perspective, I think the numbers they gave me for support beds for domestic abuse situations from women in the province of Alberta is like 1,300 or something like that, for men with two. Um, And having lived the experience of seeing these guys that were certainly in these situations that were in my group, you know, I knew that there was a larger need than just two beds and supporting and, and, you know, when you look at it on paper, the stigma of domestic abuse, you know, in the year that I got arrested last, year, fourteen mil, sorry, fourteen thousand like three hundred domestic calls in Cal, and the ones that drew charges were thirty, I think. Yeah. So I mean, when you think about that, the sheer volume of something like that happening, you know, and the way that they processed it, the last time I was arrested was, the cops just came to the house and I opened the door and they're like. Get yourself while I'm leaving. And I'm like, what do you mean? And while like, well, she called. And I'm like, you want to hear what I have to say? And they're like, man, we don't care. You know, we yeah. have to, some from our go. That's you, obviously. And I'm like, all right, fuck. So, you know, calmly go through the process again. But, I mean, it's it, it shines a real bright light on the fact that the system is skewed. And, you know, the more we move into this new world and all the shit that's gone over the last two or three years, I feel like it's getting worse and worse. And Mm -hmm. you're lucky to be able to have been a large donor to this program, which is now, you know, expanded a hundredfold over the last two years. They're very thankful for my involvement, but, um, you know, they also understand that it takes a pretty significant amount of funding to develop a program in any substantial way. So, you know, this is just a fledgling kind of organization at this point right now although we've been able to grow it pretty significantly over the last couple of years, I think that this will be something that will continue to be a large need and I will continue to support that program as long as I can.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Obviously it's not easy to talk about. So I commend you for that. And and there's a lot to unpack there. So I'll try to do my best. Um, I guess starting from the beginning and then I'll try to work through, work my way through the story, but, Why was it so important for you to reach out to your father when that whole incident with your mother happened on the phone? Yeah, why was that something that you felt was necessary and you went through all the efforts? Because it sounds like at that time, you weren't really in a stable financial position. So to hire a private investigator and go through that whole process of finding a man that you you really didn't have a relationship with, and you'd also been programmed a certain way to believe certain things about this man. Why was it so important for you?
1: Um, great question. the The moment at which the communication between the first woman and my mother took place was such a knee jerk reaction on her part to take the side of the of the yeah. victim in in this particular scenario. Um, then I thought to myself, you know what? If she's If she's not willing to listen to my side of the story or at least willing to learn about what actually took place from her son's mouth, what took place during the actual, you know, divorce and the breakup during the time of kid. so I became curious about whether or not there was something that I didn't know, right? And I wanted to find out what I didn't know. I certainly wanted to have a conversation with him. So I had the years prior to that, you know, without getting into detail or... Probably more personal than I should talk about, but um, yep. the things that were told to us while we were growing up were not good. And I had created this thing in my mind where I was like, you know what, if I ever see this guy, you know, I'm going to beat the shit out of him or I'm going to this. Or like I had carried a lot of anger about that situation because it yep. was communicated to me as a child. And I carried that into my 20s and even into my like mid 20s, like a couple of years before I had sought him out. I still had that mentality. So it was, I think it was partly I wanted to process what had taken place with me, but I also was very curious about what had taken place with Gavin. I think he ended up with, I'm a, I'm very close with him now We speak on a regular basis. You know, I probably don't see him as much as I should considering the task of him But he's retiring this year. So I'm we'll be able to get some more, yeah. uh, some more time together. But yeah, that's the reason why I reached out to him because I, I was very, I wanted to make sure that Uh, you know, I gave myself enough support in, in Mm -hmm. trying to hold my ground with what I knew had taken place. Although the world is now looking at me, not only girl that, that happened with but her friends and my friends start to look at the situation like, Oh, you know, maybe it did happen. And I'm like, with like everyone, it seemed like everyone was a game. Right. So the only person that I'm going to be able to see, see so I wanted to get as much information as I could. And, And, uh, that's kind of what Joe decision.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. And and I know the, the other piece you mentioned was you started to see a pattern, especially with, with the woman that you were dating and and what I've found is not a lot of people are fortunate enough to recognize that often we continue to repeat the same patterns in our adult relationships that we've carried over from childhood. Uh, I've had that experience, too, so I can relate. And, you know, I finally recently realized that I was also repeating the same patterns of not having that approval from my mother as a child and seeking that out in in partners. And, and some people never figure that out, unfortunately. And, and you see that. What was it for you that made you realize that, hey, there's something unhealed, from my childhood in terms of the relationship i had with my mother and i'm continuing to repeat that with my partners like at what point did yeah, you realize well. that and and you know maybe you can share a little bit in terms of how you were able to also change those patterns when you met your wife it's uh yeah that's
1: fantastic so i feel like you know chronologically if you look at the first instance to where i actually had the realization and the, the process of the healing took place would probably almost 15 years like yeah it was almost as long as the time frame that i had not seen my father and it was a very broken choppy relationship with my mother you know i'd only speak to her maybe once a year maybe not even on the phone maybe a text message um so you know fast forward to fast track entrepreneur kind of getting to the precipice of, of stopping failing and getting to the first success i had driven very hard for a really long time, and I had sacrificed a lot of, you know, physical aspects of my life, not taking care of my body the best way, and working mm-hmm. all these long hours, and or, you know, the nature of the first couple of industries that I was in were, you know, evening type stuff, and out, and entertainment, and after party type stuff, so I had, I had not lived a flippant, unhealthy lifestyle, but certainly wasn't taking care of myself the way that I, should, I do now, or that I should have. Yeah. So, ended up resulting in is a pretty significant uh, digestive issues, first manifested as digestive issues, and then I saw out the doctor uh, when it got really bad, and he told me that the stress in my life that I needed to, it seemed too basic to solve the problem for me, so right. I ended up in an exorbitant amount of money at the time I had the ability to be able to do that, to try and help this doctor, try to get this doctor to help me feel better, and one of the things that I got nothing but bad things to say about this doctor, except for this, he did... <laughs> He did tell me something that was very valuable in that he, he said that you need to find a way to process past trauma specific to your family. Because the connection to your family is something that is very important. And, you know, the the second brain connection, which is your stomach, yeah. Very is very connected to that portion of how your brain processes your relationship with specifically your mother, but your family in general. So he's yeah. like, you know, if there's some past trauma there and you've had a bad relationship, he's like I'm not saying this is gonna fix everything, but what I'm what I'm saying is is that, you know, this is going to help things. And mm-hmm. I read a book called The Body Keeps a Score,
0: Um basic premise of it. I don't know if you've read it before, but the Yeah, we've premise. we've talked about it many times on this podcast, so I'm glad you mentioned it. But yeah. It's funny that, you know, as sorry, just as an aside, as I start to find all these things that you're involved
1: in now, I look back at my life and all the different transition periods and all the things that I learned with no direction and not really knowing that these were tools that were out there, I just kind of stumbled on them. But yeah. even, You know, you, you were following the breadcrumbs, but you didn't really know they were breadcrumbs. Yeah. Um, so I read the book. I, I made the effort to reach back out to her. I put my ego aside in that scenario because I thought, you know, in all of the past experiences that we've had specific to the first domestic situation, um, yeah. you know, how fast she changed her opinion. I always, I was up the opinion about my mother that she just had this inability to change and, you know the anger I didn't realize till later the anger can't hurt, so my anger can hurt. She was very Great. angry as well um uh, so once it reached back out to her, something cool happened uh you know, it didn't happen fast, it happened over a couple of years, but you know, I made the effort against what my previous viewpoints were, meaning you know i I was arrogant about the fact that she had made the decision to side with a girl, and you know I held her with possible for lying to me about my father growing up and all these other things. But I put all that aside in an effort to try and, uh, you know, fix this stomach issue thing that I had. So I was doing the work. He told me this is the way you got to do it. Read this book, go through these steps, do this. So I did that. Um, And then as you're starting to reflect on all of those things, you start to reconnect with what ultimately was the genesis of the creation of all of these bad relationships that I had been in. I realized I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, this is the reason why I saw Personalities out. And this is the reason why the relationships ended up, you know, you know, growing the same way, plateauing the same way, and ending the same way. Not they're not all exactly the same, but they're very similar in in nature. When you start to kind of take stock of all those, you know, there was probably in a fifteen or twenty year period, I I probably had you know four or five kind of longer term relationships, and I never really kind of did like a one time done type scenario. It was always like, people with a girl. Probably about two years, three years, the longest relationship I've been in internal relationship in right now is eight years. Um, yeah. But I mean, again, you can look at the timeframes, right? The timeframes were accurately, uh, similar. And yeah, that's when I started to realize, you know, there's some work that needs to get done here and I'm making bad decisions. So what, what changed everything for me was the last instance, the arrest, the process, the men's group. I actually met with a friend of hers who, you know what I mean, I don't want to use the word sides, but she's like, she's on my side. She was of the opinion that this woman that I was in a relationship did what she did to try and manipulate my past situation to her benefit. You know, she wanted to in control of these things. I appreciated her viewpoint because she was understanding of me. She wanted to hear my side, right? She wanted right. to know what happened. So she gave me a really good piece of advice and she told me, so, so basic. And I mean, I didn't, I don't know why I didn't think of it. She said, Write write a list of all of the things that you want in a woman. Like what do you want in your personal relationship? Who do you want to be your partner? Like just describe and then put on this side the like there's no way I'm ever, I'm ever gonna be in a relationship with this type of person. And it's funny right. when I started to do the exercise, um, I did it on my cell phone. So I still have the phone with the notes. So I'd have to go back and charge it, but I kept it. Um Within 10 days of like making this list and not that I was looking for the list, but within 10 days of this exercise, I met my current one. We met at the gym. It was a random connection, like just to bump into each other, and start talking. Yeah. And then what I did after that was I used the list as the template in a way where, you know, I, I wanted to try and decipher whether or not the new woman that I had just met was what I was looking for. And right? so I used right. the list religiously. And over time, as I got to know Crystal, I, like, I realized that she was all of the things that I wanted and virtually none of the things that I didn't want. So I was like, this, this exercise worked first. Yeah. Um, and second, like, I, it, it, it put me in the position where I, I treated this situation and how we grew as a friend, as like a friendship and a relationship. Completely different. So, you know. Yeah. Not to get too graphic, but there was no, there was no text for the first month and a half, which was not common. If I had met someone in the past, it probably would have a lot quicker than, you know, mistake. Um, We got to learn, we got to learn about each other differently. You know, yeah. I, I, tr- I tried to treat the situation almost, I don't want to say the exact opposite, but almost the exact opposite of, as I treated any of the other past relationships. Specific to the fact that I had done that work with uh, Body Keeps Us Floor, it was specific to the fact that I had this experience that was negative again, and I needed to make a conscious effort to try and decide to do things differently. Um, so they were all kind of like, they all happened at the same time, and it all kind of, did like righted the ship a little bit, and it allowed me to be able to double down on, on trying to build a quality relationship with somebody based on, you know, the morals and the ethics of a life that I knew that I had. So it was reciprocated right. to me in a way that it hadn't
0: been before, ultimately resulting in the best personal relationship yeah yeah and and i know you you mentioned this to me before but it was really important for you to also be honest with with your wife when you met her right and and why was that so important to be honest about your financial situation your prior incidents uh you know obviously with the authorities um why why was all that important for you to put it on the table right away uh, up front
1: like i said before I did that in every personal relationship that I had past the first incident that took place only because I'm a very transparent person. I yeah. can't like I mean I'm sure I could lie. I'm smart enough to lie, but I mean lying makes me feel well, even a little white lies. You tell somebody that you don't want to talk to on the phone or something else. Shit like that just isn't my style. I'm right. pretty I'm pretty upfront, pretty in your face. Um, which is, you know, something that I love about myself, but not a lot of people necessarily love. So, in this current situation, like that that new relationship, I felt it important because if I'm going to be with a person, which i you know I, I don't go into a scenario thinking, "Oh, this is going to last for two months if talk to each other yeah." I really, at that point in my life was looking for a partner, and for whatever reason, you know it's it's an innate kind of draw to wanting to be with somebody that can support you, that understands who you are as a person, that loves you for who you are, will mm-hmm. support you on what it is that you're doing in your life. I just I give it to her in the first two weeks, I was like listen. I just filed a personal bankruptcy because of the last business that I tried to build, uh, you know, this is what my past looks like from a personal relationship standpoint. You know, this is what the yeah. situation is, and we're learning about each other. And I feel like all of that information is very important to building a, 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 like a sound foundation in a new relationship. And I I just felt compelled because I I want to put the best foot forward in any situation. So I mean, anybody who wants to talk to me about my life experience in that realm, I'm happy to talk talk to you. Right. It's the reason why I enjoy the, the uh, CCMF. It's the reason why I'm drawn to trying to help men process, you know, trauma and bad life experience and failed relationships and, you know, chase successful entrepreneurial efforts, all these things. It's, it's my lived experience that I think is valuable. Um, and I mean, you know, the, uh, being honest with somebody, I think, is it's at least you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We- yeah,
0: for sure. No, I appreciate that. And and going back again to as you mentioned, the second time you you were in a domestic incident, it was very important for you to, to stick to your truth. And and like you mentioned, like uh, when even when dealing with the police, you you had to dig your heels in and stand up for yourself. Why was it so important knowing you, you were kind of against the odds? The situation didn't look bad, uh, look great on you, obviously because of previous incident. Um, why was it so important for you to stick up for yourself in that moment? And and how did that help you in moving forward? Good question.
1: I uh, I think I I probably felt from the first one. I, I what happened the second time? You start to reflect on the first time. Yeah, and. How I handled the first situation, I thought was true to who I was as a person. But I kinda of rolled over and I, I felt it felt like I made a mistake. And the second time so there's a there's a time frame between these two, right? It's significantly, it really, I don't know exactly what it was, but during that time frame, because the first charge was on my record, my interactions with Calgary City police in any scenario, so getting pulled over from like speeding ticket. Specific, specifically, I was out with a group of friends um, at a bar one night on Seventeenth was hockey time, and like Red Mile. I think I'm going to tell you the story. But I'll tell the story again. Yeah, I, yeah. I was with some guys I had gone to firefighting school with. Um, you know, chill dudes like not crazy partyers. and just out coming to hockey, and I'm not like a nightclub guy, uh, or I wasn't in my twenties. Not at least I don't think I was. Um, we were at this club and this guy got jumped in the bar. His buddy because so we're yeah. all outside the bar now. Cause everyone got moved and the police were talking to him. One of the bouncers comes over and he tells me, you know, you guys should leave. These guys are looking to arrest somebody, you know, red mile craziness, whatever. And yeah. So I pull cool over and I know this guy's wife. I'm like, get, you gotta go. And the cop looks at me and he goes, yeah, you better go tough guy. He's like, otherwise you're going to jail. And I just turned around and I looked at the police officer and I said, why you gotta be such a prick? I'm like, we're leaving. And yeah. so as I started walking away. He walks up behind me, a closed fist, punched me in the back, like just behind the ear, like right in the neck. Two yeah. of him to the ground. I'm now arrested for calling a police officer and pregnant. They pick me up off the sidewalk. They put me in the paddy wagon. During the process of hammering me in the paddy wagon, they clip my head off the top of the floor and cut me over my eyebrow. So I'm just like pouring blood out of the one eye. Yeah, I, I think it up behind my back. I'm in a paddy wagon, and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Like, how you And so, take me to the arrest unit. Obviously not a good idea uh, in hindsight, but because the blood was in my eyes, I, like, had this urge to, like, wipe the blood out of my eyes. Somehow I managed to get my handcuffs from my back across my feet in front of me so I could wipe the blood out of my eyes in the five or ten minutes it took for them to drive to the arrest unit. As you could most likely imagine, when the police officers saw that my handcuffs were not behind my back when they opened the door, they did not react positively. So, yeah. you know, what took place after that was a pretty violent, you know, pretty traumatic 45 minute to uh, one hour time frame, wherein they handcuffed me to the arrest unit bench inside uh, the downtown uh, police station, and six police officers lined up put their little black gloves on and all took turns cracking me in the face. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it was something that I I never thought was ever going to happen to me. Uh, And you you just hear about that type of stuff in movies. Um, And the reason I know the time frame was 45 minutes to an hour is because they have got something outside the arrest unit uh, with a phone call. And there were a group of guys waiting in there to get uh, fingerprinted. I didn't see them at the time they saw me. Um, you know, my interaction with the police officers was, you know, nonviolent, obviously because I'm handcuffed to the chair. So I'm not struck yeah. there's no, you know, there's no nothing, but I was like John, right? So the first guy that hit me, grabbed me, I had a hair at the time, believe it or not, Grabbed me by the hair, it trapped me in the face. And, um, I told the guy like, you hit like my sister, which like yeah. obviously wasn't the right thing to say. So I, uh, I ended up. Getting worked um and there were, I needed they couldn't process me they had to take me back into the van, take me to the hospital. I got one hundred and eighty two stitches in my face and head due to this beating. yeah, I then was brought back from the hospital uh, after that and put back through the arrest system and then put in cells. I was brought up on charges of obstruction to uh, assault with a weapon on a police officer, two, uh, and resisting arrest, two. So six charges total equaling maybe nine to 12 years of jail according to what my lawyer had told me. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to say that it was because of what was on my record at the time. But police certainly treated me some kind of way based yeah. on, you know, how I looked or how I sounded. Like, it certainly wasn't warranted like there was no real reason for this to happen yeah. uh you know it's 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 tough to say what drove that you know again it's i'm processing it like what the fuck did i do like how the fuck did i end up here again the what mistake i make that put me in this situation and i think it was kind of a combination of you know my opinion about Calgary City this is not one so i think uh, corrupt cops um an interesting story about this that i'll touch on in a second is yeah. i was able- uh like revisit meeting with these arrest officers um you know standard seniors and um you know it's a good way for me to process what had taken place to get past that whole uh nervousness around the columns like i tried to put myself in in testing situations since then so that i don't feel the way that i did in the past about authority and even yeah. just the most recent thing like i got pulled over this woman pulled me over a couple weeks ago and she goes, well, your license plate doesn't match this vehicle. Well, yes, it does. I said, well, here's yeah. my registration. And I said, my insurance. I don't understand what the problem is. And now I'm like, you know, back then I was broke guy, working lots, you know, drinking with my buddies, you know, cops are beating me up. Like, oh, Lincoln, there's this history of in right. you know, Calgary City Police. Now I'm, you know, a successful entrepreneur, married for eight years. You know, I'm driving a Almost two hundred thousand dollar vehicle. This cop pulled me over, and I'm still just vibrating. Like it's 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 this. Sorry, it's PTSD, but it's this innate kind of like not hatred, but it's like nervousness. Of the cops, right? because I can't trust that any scenario that I walk into with law enforcement isn't going to end with me, you know, handcuffs. Which is not a realistic way to think about my life now, obviously. Right. Um, but it's still there, and yeah, you know, this thing that happened to me. Because of the, the choices that I made, uh, about personal relationships ultimately staged for how, how I, like a, how I grew as a man for the next 10 or 15 years, how I saw law, how I saw the world, how I saw my personal relationship, many of them. Like it was, um, it was very formative and it was formative late in life. Like it still drives my decision making process now. Um, right. I have the opportunity to go golf in a fancy police association golf tournament this year and I'm walking around thinking to myself, you know, how would the twenty-five year old me think about this? Yeah. I that was at the the Police Youth Foundation golf tournament, hobnobbing with cops. So yeah. had I mean, a bad attitude about the police for a really long time. And and uh, you know, like I said, the the how it was developed is based on that personal relationship. And it's mm-hmm. uh wild to look back at it all now about how things rolled out, think about the mistakes that I made, the, the wrong decisions that I made, and, and just not unlike business, I failed forward in life because I didn't have a real solid male um, role model early. Right. And you know it's nobody's fault, it just is life circumstances, right? And, and I was yep. lucky to have a mother that was able to show me you know, the side, the, what I would deem as the most valuable thing that I've learned that I could have gotten father work at them. and I, i'm lucky enough to have been raised by a woman that was that strong that worked that hard to help us have a life um and all these things i didn't realize while i'm like 16 to 25 or 27 or even 35 years old like it didn't come to me didn't come to me too late let's say let's say that i still have time to have a relationship with her i still have time to relearn the things that i should have learned you know Fortunate enough to, to be able to look back at my life experiences and have not gone all the way down a really bad road, mm-hmm. right? Like I yeah. easily could have ended up in jail. I very easily could have ended up killing somebody. You know, I, I was, I was in a sport where you're taught how to hurt people. And then mm-hmm. early years when I was in martial arts, it was there for discipline. Later in life, as you ego and you grow this more disdain for society and like, fuck right. the police, Italian, all this shit. Then you become a weapon. Then you're like, yeah. who can I hurt? Right. And I mean, it's bad because of the domestic situation, but I fought a lot of guys. Like there were, yeah. there were street fights that existed that should not happen. There were scenarios in which I got shit kicked. You know, the cops is a good example. There were scenarios yeah. I fought men on the street in, you know, mid early twenties type scenario after yeah. the or during the bar or whatever it was. in happen all the time, but it happened enough times that I can look back at it and go, Jesus Christ, like I'm lucky I didn't kill someone. Mm-hmm. And or end up dead. I mean, ultimately. Right. You know, the good thing to look back at was like, there was no real heavy substance abuse. I didn't drink a whole bunch. I didn't do drugs at all. Um in fact I've only just now recently discovered cannabis which has been a fantastic addition to my life. But it was later <laughs> in life and I think that it's probably the most valuable thing that I've been able to kind of like, uh, you know, there's a tool to retrospectively review my life, you know, from a, a different vantage point. Uh And it's given me a lot of insights as to the things that I've made and, and the learning lessons that I've gone through this man and what I've still got to do by way of work. Like, yeah. Like I said, you know, I'm just, this, this is an early days. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you for building on that. And, and, I guess the natural question that comes in, you know, I've been fortunate enough to hear the story, which I find is very powerful. Why was it so important for you to reach out to the police, you know, after all those years, after that incident of being beaten down brutally? Why was it important for you to to reach out to them and connect and be able to have that opportunity to to talk to them and and find out what was their intention behind doing all that to you? Yeah. Good question. I, um, so I to be honest with you
1: at the very beginning when I saw these guys out it was an arrogance thing. So it was, yeah. uh, kind of a fuck you to these guys. Cause I thought I had just sold my first company. I made a substantial amount of money. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm living what I, I'm living the life that I know I was meant to live by way of, yeah. you know, accomplishment and all this kind of stuff. So in a, in a small kind mm-hmm. of like, fuck you type of way I, I wanted to, I wanted these guys to come to my world and see what I had been able to accomplish This would have taken place you know in those years for, or uh, in the past so when I, invite, I invited uh so it was a, pro- a whole process so I had to go to the beginning of COVID so all the police stations were closed yeah and try to find a way to get the documents for the US so that I could look up the names so for a lot of years I had carried the paperwork with me. I had gone through like different home scenarios. So I had this briefcase and I always kept these papers. It was all these, these statements from the officers, my statements, all this stuff. I kept it all and I kept it because I just was seething about the fact that this had taken place and that I was them and all this other shit. Prior to this, I had thrown it out. So I had decided I'm going to process this. I'm going to turn the page. I'm not going to, I'm not going to focus on this anymore. I'm not going to allow these thought processes to control anything in my life. I don't feel good when I, when I think that way. I don't feel, I feel like something's being taken away right? So I decided right. to, i have that. I'd go up and get it again. So I collected the information, uh, you know, reliving, reading all that stuff after years of not kind of having decided to turn the page with an attitude and just like, it's gross, right? You're reliving a shitty part of your life that you really want right. to. Hey, okay, John? Anyway, so I got the guy's names. They reached out via email, um, and there were three of them, and only one responded. One that responded responded quickly, and I didn't know why until I met him, but I at the time had a, uh, an office in a motorcycle shop here in town, and invited them down to my office. And He didn't know yeah. what I wanted to talk about. He was involved in some charity stuff, so I, I didn't lead him to believe that I involved myself in charity what i said was i'm involved in some charities in the city i'd like to meet with you And he's like oh yeah no problem he's like when would you like come so we set it up you know he came down a couple of days later and the time is approaching to when he's going to get there so i'm like looking out the window where is he like this is to me i don't know what the fuck's gonna happen i don't know why i'm doing this like maybe it's because i want to process this i want to close the door i want to show these guys you know fuck you i became more successful than you ever could hope to be yeah and, when he got there he got there in a walker and has ms very very aggressive ms uh to a point where they've taken away his weapon they put him behind the desk essentially his identity is gone uh his he told me during our meeting that we were in there for close to three hours in, in the last 45 minutes is when we discussed my situation with him um but he had told me that his wife is a brain tumor and all of these things, like, all of these things, in this guy's life are just, like, destroyed. Yeah. And I'm listening to this man tell me this story and, you know, how he's coping with it and he's writing a book and all this other stuff. And I'm just like, I brought this guy here to try and rub his face in my success. And he showed up broken. And now I'm, like, on the fly, forced to come up with this, like, what am I going to do now? Like, I'm certainly not yeah. going to talk shit to this guy not that yeah. I had intended on doing that in the first place, but you know how dudes are, right? You're like, fuck yeah. you. You do yes. this to hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this to you, which is right. a tough way to look at. it. But by the end of the conversation, I had offered to help fund the publishing of his book. Uh, and I told him, uh, you know, I'd love to do anything I could do to try and make your life a little bit better. And, and we actually had a hard hard conversation that he brought up when he finally realized who I was. He brought it up and he said, we have, we have a history together. No, I said, yes, we do. And I said, I bring you here. I think this was at, at the time that I switched my thought process Not necessarily true, but I'm like, I didn't bring you here for any other reason than to like, and t- turn the page on this. So yeah, it was my ego in my ear trying to tell me that, you know, the real reason was because I wanted to help somebody, but it most likely, you know, call it 70, 30. I wanted to tell like a well, big fuck you to this guy. But by yeah. the time we finished, that was gone. And if yeah. you're like, that, that was part of me processing him coming in there and me turning the page and, and turning into a different person, like putting that chapter officially behind me. And um, he actually said the words to me that he was confident that his life situation um, was karma for the things that he did while he was a police officer. And for me to hear that, knowing that you know I probably wasn't the only one that they did that type of stuff to, it yeah. closed that for me. And um, he also let me know that the other two officers had not done the work and would not have processed this the same way and not to expect that. Which was strange. right You know, if I had gotten what I went in looking for, although I didn't know what it was when I went in, I came out knowing exactly what it was and I got it from this guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what did that mean for you? Like moving forward, like having that conversation and whatever type of closure you were able to get, what did that mean for you in that moment and moving forward? Well, I mean, Biggest thing was, you now every time I'd had an interaction with CPS after that,
1: I think about that moment in time and I think about these people that I'm discussing, whatever it is that I'm discussing with, if I was speeding or you know, over because license, whatever it was. And I, I would treat the situation differently and it allowed me to be able to be more calm. There wasn't like that, that lizard brain reaction to the, to being pulled over to the interaction with the police officer. I just, I saw it differently, which was hugely valuable for me. Uh, yeah, and similar to that. It taught me a lesson about, um, uh, it taught me a lesson about understanding, you know, a, a situation like that. In that, you know, yeah, he was a certain type of person in a certain type of job, which, by the way, is super difficult. So, I mean, I got a lot of respect. Right. The good one. The... Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it helped me see it from his side. Um, although that sounds stupid because at the time, you know, they were aggressive for no reason. You know, they beat me. They wanted to you know it's a power trip thing whatever it was but i got to i got to look at it from his side and i got to see what the end result of that was and it hit home for me hard you know like this guy's just like me he mm. made some bad bad fucking decisions in his past you know it put him into a scenario where some really shitty shit happened the only difference between what happened with him and what happened with me is maybe he didn't do the work sooner you know I, I can't say that obviously he got sick and all these bad things happened in his life because of that but i mean it's not a it's not a huge stretch to think that if you don't write your ship at some point in time through your life and start making different decisions about what you want your life to look like and what type of man you want to be, you know you're gonna end up in a shitty fucking spot. Whether it's health, whether it's you know the example of me being an entrepreneur and working too hard and neglecting the health aspect of my life is a good example. Different, similar. Like you, you make those decisions and you ignore the things that are
0: important. Eventually, it's gonna catch up right right and i mean that's a great point and as we come to a close i do have a couple of questions that are related and and based on your final point but looking back on your life the whole journey right and we've kind of been able to walk through that journey and and obviously not get into details on some stuff but looking back is there anything you would change and i, I would assume that if you were to change anything, you wouldn't be where you are today, but is there anything that you regret and that you would do differently looking back? Um, yeah, I'm sure that there are probably some regrets. Like you said, I,
1: I don't think that I would change anything necessarily because I wouldn't have ended up in the exact spot I'm in right now. I'm very happy with the scenario that I'm in right now, so I'd like to here. I probably wouldn't change it if I was given the <laughs> um, yeah. however, you know, if I had a known... You know the things I know about how? how to pick the right partner. I probably would have changed some of those decisions. You know, I would have mm-hmm. I would have stayed away from the, you know, the main drivers at the point at which you're 21 years old, which is you know, how hot is this chick? You know, all these other things like yeah. how fast? You know, all the all the infantile decision making uh, process go right. through 21. But yeah, I probably would have. Done it. I mean, how do you change that? Like, you know, yeah. You know, and, yeah. you know, the life circumstances that I was in, you know, being a fighter, being in that industry, working in construction, working in the oil field, like you're around a lot of less than reputable personal influences, let's say, you know, yeah. as a, maybe being in a corporate setting or you know, being around people that uh, I have a, like a good group of like dudes that are valuable to me that I can draw. experience. never really had anybody that was older that mentored me. Um, ever really had the opportunity to, based on the fact, maybe I thought I didn't have enough experience or whatever it was to mentor any young guys. But as I get older, I now realize that those are probably some of the most valuable things that I'm going to be able to work on that are going to allow me to be able to have the most positive effect on the world forward. Is, you know, gaining experience from intelligent men that have accomplished things, that have gone through trauma and have suffered through life in general and have learned lessons from those sufferings and have been able to come out the other side a better person and with more valuable ammunition to be able to give to the next guy that they need it. And, you know, up until I met you um, enough to pump your tires too much, but I really didn't have a viewpoint that could take a look at my situation that could challenge me on past decisions that I'd made and force me into these new kind of thought processes that have kind of helped me guide towards what I'm actually here to do. Um, right. so there yeah. has been some pretty frigging realizations over the last, you know, two or three weeks that we've known each other. So I appreciate that from you. And I, mm-hmm. I do really feel like I, I, mentioned this before, but I feel like this might just be the beginning
0: of something much much larger. Right, right. No, and I appreciate you saying that. And, and I think part of it is Steve, that, you know, if you hadn't experienced those relationships, you probably wouldn't appreciate the one you have today. Right. And that's just natural. And, and. To be in a position you are in today, and as you mentioned, not having that role model or mentor early on in your life, you can probably pay it forward now for other men. And that leads me into my last question. Like, there's, you know, there's a lot of suffering in this world that goes without saying. There's a lot of people struggling, men specifically struggle with different things, whether it's divorce or some of the situations you've described. There's a lot of adversity that men create for themselves too what piece of advice would you offer to someone who's you know in their 20s or early 30s and is having this mindset that oh maybe the world is out to get me or against me what would you offer to those men so they can perhaps shift their mindset and and look at life differently
1: i think that if i had had the opportunity to speak to someone convinced i would assume it's tough because i think it it's yeah. you know, 21 years, years old a yeah. you know, young guy that he doesn't know everything and that you should probably seek out someone who's got the ability to be able to communicate to you connect in you know um the same mentality as what you've got now and we don't necessarily hang out with a bunch of 21 year olds but I'm yeah it's different than it was when i was 20 um i would say try to find people that are doing something that you aspire to do. So find almost like a role model. I didn't necessarily have that kind of exactly know what I wanted. I knew I wanted success or I knew I wanted to do something that could offer me the freedom to live my life the way that I wanted to. Um, right. But back at it now, had I had somebody, you know, like you or like me that had lived through some fucked up shit that could, that could like, that could kind of gave me like, um. Not saying that my way is the right way, but I'm saying, Hey, Bro. there's this big hole over here. Like, stay the fuck away from this. This yeah. is a thing, but destroy your life. Um, but I would say seek somebody that you aspire to be like, um, and, and reach out to them. Like I've read books and everything else you might like attempt to become a successful entrepreneur. And a lot of times taking that, I have this, uh, note in my phone that says do one crazy business and it pops up once a month. And, you know, so whatever it is, I just come up with it on the spot. But like, Reach out to somebody, take a risk to like be vulnerable, uh, yeah. you know, take a risk to be told no. Um, and, you know, the book getting to yes, is it just specific to business? Probably very specific to life as well. Go out and fail as many times as you possibly can. Do good. Like at your core, do good. Try to benefit as many people as you can in whatever way, whatever you're good at, whatever you think that you can excel at. Try to find a way to stay focused on doing the right thing just in general. And mm. eventually, you know, you'll find a way. I know that's yeah, a big piece of life. But, I mean, had I had someone when I was 21 years old tell me, just find someone to aspire to be like, Right. Yeah. The because then you've got like a not always be the right decision. And that might change a bunch of times, but at least you've got something to focus on. It drives you towards some type of goal. You know, setting goals for yourself is very important. And I, I learned that really early on, although they were scattered and not necessarily focused in the right directions. You know, setting goals for yourself and trying to do as much good as you possibly can. I feel like you've got a compass that's going to point you in the general right direction and you're going to be able to figure out why.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for me, I take that as, and and personally speaking too, what I've it's benefited me is, and based on everything you said too, is take responsibility for yourself because yeah. it's easy to give that power away and, and fall victim to circumstances. And, and I like to say we're part of the cause, not part of the effect. So I yeah. think it's kind of that mindset. I think that's helped me. It sounds like it helped you when you started taking responsibility for yourself. And um, it's just amazing. And, and Steve, I want to thank you for coming on here and on this platform and sharing your story with me. Uh I've been fortunate enough to hear it before. But even with the listeners, um, you know, it means a lot and I appreciate everything you've shared today. Yeah. Thank you very much. This is cool. I um
1: maybe we can do it again. I guess yeah so many, I got so many questions for you. <laughs> it's good. I'll uh yeah. Thank you very much, Ben. This is awesome. I'm glad you're doing this. This is important. This is, um, you know, people in this space, people that want to get back, people that want to help, there's different versions of it. And I feel like your version is different. The Cord's version is different than my version is going to be like, I really want to dig into this and make sure that I can learn from what you've done. You know, you kind of guide me a little bit. Uh but I do feel like, you know, the things that I've lived through and the things that I've got experienced, whether it was forced or otherwise, um, can be, you. they're valuable. Your lesson that people should probably know.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that very much and absolutely. And um, maybe we can do another episode where you get to ask all the questions. So I mean, I like that. Awesome. That's great. Thanks. Thank you for checking out this episode with Steve. As always, please leave a five star review or a comment in the comment section. I always love hearing from you. And until next week.